Okay, we are in part five. We are working our way through the book of Acts, as you can see. We've entitled the series Heroes of the Faith. And as we're going chapter through chapter, we're, we're being introduced to various heroes of the faith, believers, just ordinary people like you and me, that God just kind of raised up and used. And in that moment in history, and in fact, we're learning that this is what God has done and is doing throughout all church history. He raises up his people to be modern day heroes of the faith as we look at this book even today. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Peter and John and the Sanhedrin, and we're going to see in Peter and John a trait of heroic faith that the Lord wants to breathe into each of our lives. And as we live out this trait, and any believer can live out this trait, as we do so, we become a modern-day hero of the faith. So I want to give you the context. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the key verse to the whole book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus said this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that is really our commission. It's the purpose why we exist on earth, to be his witness here and to the ends of the earth. And then the church was born in Acts chapter 2. Remember in Acts 1, uh, the, 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 the command was to wait in, in Jerusalem until you receive the gift. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell believers. The church is born, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to live in, to live in supernatural ways. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people in Jerusalem were saved and baptized after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And then in chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord, we hear, was adding to their number daily those who were being saved in those home communities throughout Jerusalem. The church was just growing. There was no church in a physical uh, building yet. That would come hundreds of years later, actually. The church was meeting in the temple as well as in houses, and, and the Spirit of God is birthing the church, which we're a part of today, and it started there, and it's just growing and growing. And, and then when we come to Acts chapter 4, where we're going to you know, camp today, we see that the numbers of believers in Jerusalem grew to 5,000 men. That's not even including women and children. And the church is growing, and this man, as we saw last Sunday, 40 years of age, lame, God uses Peter and John to work a miracle of faith, and this man is healed, and people are running into the temple seeing this, and the church just continues to grow, and it's expanding, and it's an exciting moment for the church of Jesus Christ. But it was not an exciting moment for the Jewish religious establishment of Jerusalem. Things are going to start to hit the fan, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts. Now, Jesus clearly taught that if you want to follow him and be his witness, you can expect persecution. And this was taught by Jesus. He forewarned the disciples on so many occasions. And I've just given you a few scriptures here. John 15, 18 to 21, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, 
It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. John 16, 2, Jesus said, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. That's a Jewish place of worship. In fact, the time's going to come when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. That's happening all over our world today. Mark 13, on account of me, Jesus said, you're going to stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Whenever they arrest you, we're going to see that today, and brought to trial, we're going to see that today, do not worry beforehand about what you're going to say. We're going to see that today. Just, Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit who came to you on the day of Pentecost. We're going to see all that today. You know, the Bible speaks about three types of suffering. The first is common suffering. That's when you get sick or maybe you get in a car accident, you stub your toe. You ever done that at night? (laughs) That's just common suffering, you know? Traffic, okay, are you with me? Are you feeling me? Bay Area traffic, common suffering. Then there's carnal suffering. That's when I suffer because of my sinful choices. Wow, it's called carnal suffering. We see that in the Bible. And then there's Christian suffering. That's when I suffer simply because I'm a Christian living out my faith. Simply because I'm vocal about my faith, I suffer. And this is what we need to understand because as American Christians, we are isolated. 70%, if you let, 7 out of 10 believers in our world today, the global family suffers persecution daily. We are the minority. We are the oddity when it comes to the family of God. We live in the United States of America. It's coming, but it's not like what it is where all the countries where I travel and that you hear about. Um, Here's a definition. Christian persecution is any unjust action of hostility directed at Christians resulting in various levels of harm. I don't have time to go through all the different levels of harm, That can be from anything from ridicule to martyrdom. And we're going to see all that in the book of Acts. Uh, The U.S. State Department gave us this. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or their surrounding neighbors just because of their belief in Jesus Christ. The bottom line is this. Christian persecution is really the global norm. And from Acts chapter 4 on, we will see that it will be the global, the norm then. It's going to be just normative. And we're going to see it everywhere in the book of Acts. Now, I say all of that as a backdrop to say this. When we come to Acts chapter 4, four this records the first outbreak of persecution against the church. I want us to read this account, and I'll do a little explaining as we go along, and then we're going to enter into our hero of the faith trait and kind of take this apart. Acts chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 to 13. The priests, i just stop there. The priests were those who led the worship in the temple. Here's a picture of the temple uh, that we've been noting. 400,000 people could be on those plazas, and, and the church would meet all over here, especially in Solomon's colonnade. 
and the priests were in charge. There were hundreds of priests in charge of this temple complex. And the captain of the temple guard, that's the security forces for this complex, which was massive to prevent any sort of uh, riots or problems. It was security. And the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the wealthy politicians, the aristocrats back then, very, very corrupt. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and they really controlled politically the temple. And these three groups, they kind of come together, and they came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. This is in the aftermath of the miracle of this man being healed. And you've got hundreds of people around Peter and John listening to Peter and John. They see this man that has been healed 40 years old and he's walking and it's just this almost hysteria. What is going on? And people keep crowding in and you've got all of these religious control freaks wondering what's happening. They're greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, they were greatly disturbed for many reasons. Number one, these are the disciples of Jesus Christ who they murdered. They murdered Christ. These are the ones who literally orchestrated the execution of Jesus Christ, and now these are his disciples. Furthermore, they're teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, they are teaching that this man, Jesus Christ, who they saw crucified on a cross, has resurrected. And they are teaching that if you believe in this resurrected Jesus, you also will be resurrected. This was greatly disturbing to the religious elites that controlled the temple, which was a huge money-making machine. Great political power and corruption. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail. Now, they would have put them in the fortress of Antonia. Some of you have been with me to Jerusalem. Part of this still exists, and and the next picture should show that fortress. Not that. There's one other. This is the fortress of Antonia. On the uh, northwest side of the temple, this is the temple, you have this fortress. And this is where uh, Jesus was actually taken to, and Paul was later taken here. And Peter and John certainly would have been taken here to spend the night thrown in jail until the next day. But many who heard, verse 4, the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 in Jerusalem right now. This is very disturbing to the Jews and to even some of the Gentiles. Remember, they were under Roman occupation in Jerusalem at this time, all Judea. Verse 5, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, now now the Pharisees are added to the bunch, they met in Jerusalem, and they would have met in the Sanhedrin. Here's a picture of the Sanhedrin. It doesn't exist today, but the Sanhedrin was the Jewish supreme court of the land, the the highest court of the land. It was composed of uh, 70 members, and then the, the high priest literally was the presiding, deciding factor. Half were thought to be Uh, Pharisees, half Sadducees. There's a little conjecture about that. We're not completely sure, but that's kind of the feel. But Peter and John came here to this place. But you need to picture Peter and John coming to 
a place where it would be equal to the justices of our Supreme Court along with literally the mob is running this. The corruption goes deeper than you could, the mafia. It is so deep, the corruption. And Peter and John are brought in to the Sanhedrin. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. Caiaphas literally was the man who orchestrated the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. John was there, who would become the next high priest. And then Alexander, another official, and others of the high priest family. So they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here's the first question. It's Peter and John, you can imagine walking in, something like that. By what power and what name did you do this? Now, the healed man is there as well. They're pointing out to this man. Really, what they were saying is, who do you think you guys are? You're a bunch of fishermen from Galilee. You're coming into our temple complex. You're disturbing the peace. Who do you guys think you are? Wow. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, I'm sure it was absolutely shocking to them that Peter spoke with such confidence and grace. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That would have taken the breath out of the air. Then look at this. Look at their reaction. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Let me give you our hero of the faith trait today. One of the most heroic things you can do is to be God's courageous witness, even if it leads to you being persecuted. Wow. Don't you want verse 13 to be said about you? I don't think you'd be here if you don't. You, you want to be a Christian. When they saw the courage of Mike and, 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 and Diane and, and, and realized they're just an ordinary person, they were astonished. They took note. This, this guy, this gal's with Jesus. Don't you want that said of you? I believe you do. So how can we become like that? How can we be men and women of courage, even if it means us being persecuted? That is a trait of heroic faith. We're going to talk about that during our entire time. But first, this discussion question. I want you to share about a time in your life. When you think about your whole life, what was the moment for you of the most courageous witnessing stance you have ever taken? When was that moment when you displayed courage for Jesus Christ, even if it meant you suffering for your faith? When did you step out in faith and act courageously in kind of a tense situation? I want you to talk about that. Go for it. Okay. 
Peter and John are our heroes of the faith today. And I see in their example five ways to be a courageous witness, even if it means you being persecuted. And that's what we want to look at today. So I wonder what courage really looks like to you. What does it look like to you? I'm talking about spiritual courage, Christian courage. What does that look like? When you think about Christians who are courageous, you know, what really comes to your mind? What do you admire? How courageous of a Christian do you feel you are? How would you rate yourself? I imagine all of us have seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. I wonder who your favorite character is. Is it Dorothy or the Tin Man? The Cowardly Lion. I don't think any of us would like to, in our hearts, believe that we are a cowardly Christian. There have been times in my life, I'll be honest with you, that I've had to ask the Lord forgiveness for not being courageous for my faith, for not taking a stance, because I was afraid. I was timid in a situation. I've had said, Lord, please forgive me. It's not easy to be courageous, especially when the risk of you being put down or ridiculed or ostracized or persecuted might come to your life. This is why it is a hero of the faith traits to be someone who's courageous for Christ, even if persecution could come. So how can we become that? Five marks of a courageous witness. A courageous witness, number one, consistently tells people about Jesus. If you are consistently, you know, when God opens the door, telling people about Jesus at work or in your neighborhood or whatever, if you're consistently talking about Christ, when the opportunity presents itself, you are a hero of the faith. A modern-day hero of the faith. This is where it begins. It's just normally speaking about Jesus as we have opportunity. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard, I know we read this, but it merits reading again, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Notice Peter and John weren't yelling at the people. They're just speaking. A courageous witness is just simply someone who's not obnoxious or rude, but they just they open their mouth and they talk about Jesus. Is that you? What do you talk about most? Is it always sports or is it always about shopping or whatever? Those things are fine. But are there times actually you do speak about Jesus Christ and his resurrection? If so, you're a hero of the faith. If not, you've got to examine yourself. Say, what's going on in my life, Lord? You know, where am I at? Hmm. And, and th the reason we're going through this book is it's an opportunity for us to all grow in these traits that make up heroic faith. Peter and John, they're just sharing with the people about Jesus and the resurrection as God granted them the opportunity. If you are consistently opening up your mouth, talking about Jesus, you're a courageous witness. You're a hero of the faith. You are. And many of you are like that. Maybe all of you, even watching on video. 
So what a great beginning to this trait of heroic faith, the fact that you're courageous enough to just speak about Jesus. Some Christians aren't. They've never talked about Jesus. Hmm, there's some growth that needs to happen. A courageous witness consistently tells people about Jesus as they're given the opportunity. Now, when you do that, you always run the risks of potentially running into persecution. And this happened for Peter and John. They actually were arrested, thrown into jail. And then guess what? I see a second thing emerge. A courageous witness is constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. You look at verses 7 and 8. So they bring Peter and John. They had Peter and John brought out before them and began to question them by what power and what name did you do this? Are you making this problem in the temple? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Wow. Courage comes through the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's just so clear throughout the New Testament. The more you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the more courageous you will become. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian who is courageous. They don't exist. It just doesn't. I mean, if you're living in compromise and in sin, you are not going to be courageous for Jesus. Courage is not natural. It is supernatural. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It actually comes from a holy life that has yielded the Holy Spirit. I mean, this, you know, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power, that word power, dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. I remember one time looking at my brother right over there. He came over to our house, and he had a, a quarter stick of dynamite. And he goes, let's light this thing. And I go, no way, Todd. He drove down the hill, came back up, and I saw him driving up slowly. And I'm like, this is what our, I go, get in the house. He lit that thing, threw it out the window, and it landed right in our gutter. And I'm like, run to the house. And I mean, I get to the house and boom. <laughs> I mean, all the windows in the house were shaking like this. Todd took off. And I'm like, get in the house, boys. Turn off the lights. The cops are coming. <laughs> Power. The only reason I told that story is because I see him right over there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. The only way we can be a witness for Christ, that's not going to come in your own power. That's going to come by the Holy Spirit filling you and speaking through you. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine. That is, don't let wine control you. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine, but, but drunkenness is different. When we're given to drunkenness, that's an area of sin. Don't let sin control you is what the Bible's saying. But in contrast to that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you at all times. So his power is there and present. The Holy Spirit lives within you. But guess what? You can quench the Holy Spirit, the Bible speaks. You can stifle the Holy Spirit. It says you are filled with the Spirit. You want to know how you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit? You ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. I've shared with you before, I, I pray four prayers every single day. I'm not going to give those to you. I've preached sermons on that before. One of my prayers that I always end with, fill me with your Spirit today, Holy Spirit. 
That is the prayer I pray every time I come up to preach. I pray it throughout Sunday mornings. Holy Spirit, last night as I'm preparing to preach, fill me when I travel. Fill me with your spirit so that we can be courageous for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I look at Peter and John here, and I go, wow, they're so courageous. Even in the midst of persecution, and they're just consistently telling about Jesus. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a third uh, way to be a courageous witness, even if it means being persecuted. A courageous witness courteously points out the kind act, but also connects the good news. Now, I know that's hard to understand there, so let me explain it to you, and then we're going to make a powerful application to your life. Notice in how Peter and John just respectfully address the Sanhedrin. You see there in verse 8. So they're brought before this body that we showed you this picture. They're in the Sanhedrin. There's 71 of these guys, all beady-eyed, looking at them. And, and Peter and John begin by saying, rulers and elders. You see, a courageous witness is not rude or condescending to authority. Even when those rulers unjustly masterminded the crucifixion of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or when they were unjustly treated, Peter and John were unlawfully arrested. What had they done wrong? Nothing. They had broken no law. They have every right to be in that temple to pray. A miracle happened, and they're arrested. They had broken no law. And Peter and John could have come out yelling and screaming, what do you guys think you're doing? You're supposed to represent the law. No, no, they came out with grace. A courageous witness is courteous. And then notice how Peter and John point out the kind act performed. Now, this is brilliant. Look at verse 9. He, Peter begins his, if we're being called on account today for the act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, notice he, he kind of brings them back to is this all about this kind act? Is this why we're on trial right now? This beautiful act of kindness that took place yesterday? I mean, this man, you see him right here, 40 years old. God did a wonderful miracle in his life. Is this why this is happening? It's kind of causing them to question their own motives. You know, there's a principle here. In virtually 100% of the cases when God's people are persecuted, and I see it all over the world where I travel, it's typically always about something good that has happened through their life or through their ministry. Always, it's a good thing that they have done. It's just that the enemy gets in and he twists the minds of the persecuted and they can't see the good. And Peter and John are trying to point this out and so should we. Peter was reminding them, isn't this all about something good that was done? Trying to wake them up out of their stupor and their blindness. This is kind of a silly illustration, but uh, years ago I was in Cuba with a group and we were doing a baseball outreach. And we had brought in candy, we brought in baseball supplies, and we were literally having a game with uh, Cubans on the field and we're having a blast and the police show up. They show up, they bust the game, they, they, they arrest us. They bring us literally to uh, the police station. They separate us. I think there were five of us. And they put us in separate rooms and they're questioning us. 
And, you know, they're speaking Spanish, and I, I was praying, give me the gift of tongues, Lord. It wasn't coming. <laughs> and finally, I said through an interpreter, I just said, I said something like, I just was appealing to them, and I said, is this about, you know, the candy that we brought to those dear Cuban boys and the, the gloves and the baseball outfits that we gave to them, you know, as an act of kindness? Is this what this is all about, sirs? You know, just trying to be gracious and kind and kind of diffuse it all and cause them to wake up. And ultimately, they did realize how ridiculous this was that they brought us in. And we were just sharing, we just love you people. We love the Cubans, and we're here to bless you. And they finally just let us go. So, you know, a courageous witness, they're courteous, and they point out the kind act, but then they connect the gospel to all of that. This is where the courage comes in. Because notice what happens. Notice how Peter and John, they just courageously connect the gospel in all of this. Verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Hey, this is a good thing that's been done right, but know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I mean, Peter and John are going, what an amazing opportunity. We got the entire Sanhedrin here. What an opportunity to share the gospel. It's by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, whom you crucified. I mean, that's gutsy. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I mean, how do you rebut that when the guy is healed and it's in the name of Jesus, the guy that they crucified? Whoa. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That is a statement about Jesus' supreme authority. And then Peter and John, salvation. Want to talk about salvation, guys? It's found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind. He's including the whole world by which we must be saved. Wow. Now, I want to make a statement here because that's so important. The Bible does not teach a social gospel only. As Christ followers, we're called to do human acts of kindness and give humanitarian aid, but it's always to be connected with the gospel. It does not take courage to go out and feed the homeless. It takes courage to feed the homeless and also share, by the way, in the name of Jesus, I give you this gift. Jesus died, he resurrected, so you could have everlasting life. Put your faith in him. That's the courageous part. There are so many organizations in our history as a country that started off with good acts and bringing the gospel, and now there is no gospel to them whatsoever. The enemy had come into the camp, and they were so watered down. Red Cross is a perfect example you can't even share the gospel if you're a Red Cross, Cross worker. It's against their policy now. You should read how that ministry began. That's just one of dozens. There are many, even Christian organizations. I, it breaks my heart. They're going all over the world, doing amazing things. Examine what you give your money to. And they're doing great things, but they leave the gospel out. Are you kidding me? Cults can do that. Non-Christians can do something nice and not share the gospel. Who's going to share the gospel? Courageous Christians. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? Examine what you are supporting and make sure 
when you look at the, the life, that it's both, that it's something kind, but it's also the gospel. If not, what you're giving to, what you're supporting, what you're a part of, that's not the Christian work of God. It's always both. You look at Jesus Christ. I gave you this verse, Acts 10.38. Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power, went around doing good. That's humanitarian kindness. And yes, we do that as a church. Oh my, do we ever. And here's the other side, healing all who are under the power of the devil. That's the spiritual side. The gospel is kindness to physical needs. Jesus healed. But it's also the truth of the gospel that sets people free from their sin. Now, I don't know what this is going to look like for you. But I believe that there's going to come a time in your life where you will be called to give an account for your actions related to something good that you have done. And you're going to have the opportunity in that moment, like Peter and John, to courageously point out the kind act that you have done and why you did it, and also share courageously the gospel of Jesus Christ, why you're doing it. You're going to connect the gospel. And notice the result, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men, they had been with Jesus. Notice it doesn't say when they saw the kind act, oh, they've been with Jesus. No, no, no. When they heard the gospel preached along with the kind act, that's what made it clear these men are with Jesus Christ. Wow. I want you to watch a video right now, and it's of an atheist telling a story. This atheist is named Penn Gillette. You've heard of Penn and Teller. Penn is a renowned atheist. But he talks about a moment at the end of one of his shows when a courageous Christian came to him and gave him a kind act, but also gave to him something much deeper, and there's something we can learn here. I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that uh, 
well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And... Uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. So I don't know, you know, what it's going to look like for you, but I believe that there are thousands of people out there that just want to see the courage of someone who really believes what they believe in and they're willing to share. And they will stand back and they will look at you and they'll say, that's a really good guy. That's a really good gal. I recognize them as being with Jesus. Let me give you a fourth uh, trait of a courageous witness is that even when threatened, they will respectfully honor God regardless of the costs. And again, I don't know what this is going to look like for you, but there's going to come a moment like with Peter and John where you're going to experience something like this in your life as a Christ follower. It might be at work. Maybe you're going to be threatened there. I don't know. Or in some social setting, you, you may be threatened. I don't know. But notice how Peter and John respond. Notice the threat and how they responded. Look at verse 13. Let's start there, and we're going to read on. So when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note. These guys, they've been with Jesus. These are good guys. That's pretty amazing. They were astonished, just like Penn. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. So Peter and John, and they get them all out of the Sanhedrin. And they conferred together. They're talking amongst themselves, the 71. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them. Okay, let's threaten them. To speak no longer to anyone in the name. Wow. Then they called them in again, you know, and, and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, 
which is right in God's eyes. I mean, I love their honesty. Whatever's right in God's eyes to listen to you or to God, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Wow. Well, you guys, I get your warning, but, you know, that's your warning. And you're going to have to determine whether or not that is of God or not. But we know one thing. we got to obey God. We're going to keep honoring God by speaking about the name of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened? Verse 21 says, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, in this situation, their courageous stand for Christ resulted in their release. But that's not going to happen and be the case later, as we're going to see. Many times when you take a stand for Christ, there's going to be great admiration and you'll, okay, now I understand. That's amazing. And you're, you're free to go forward with what, you know, you're doing. Other times that won't be the case. You might take some heat. Here's a picture of one pastor. His name's Pastor B from Bangladesh. A while ago, a couple years ago, his name was put in the newspaper along with 10 other pastors and the, the, the threat was, get out of our country or we will kill you. And one of his friends uh, was killed by radical Islamists. And then they surrounded Pastor B in an alley. Muslims, they sought to stone him to death. And just a police officer happened to just come by after he took a brick to the head, laying there in his blood, and that police officer stopped Pastor B from being killed. He was actually, there's so much persecution in Bangladesh, the police officer wouldn't even call an ambulance because if he did so, that would show he was sympathizing toward a Christian and he could be killed. So he gave him a phone and said, you can call your wife. She came and then picked him up and took him to the hospital. That's the kind of persecution that happens around the world. But I just see here that even in the midst of threats, and many Christians... Even pastor said, Pastor B, you need to get out of Bangladesh. And he said, no, these are the people who need to be saved. And this is the guy that leads our ministry that we support in Bangladesh. Even when threatened, we respectfully honor guard regardless of the cost. Wow, that's a hero of the faith. So Peter and John were doing, Pastor B's doing. Let me give you a fifth way to be a courageous witness. Even if it means you're being persecuted, And the last is this, a courageous witness continues in prayer. Notice how continuous prayer fed their boldness for Christ in verse 21 and following. It says, after further threats, well, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them. And then it says in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John, what did they do? They go back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. When they heard this, look at this, all of them raised their voices together in prayer to God. Maybe they were in the upper room, we're not sure. And they, they pray. They say, Sovereign Lord. They said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up uh, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. What prayer. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. I don't know what I've noticed in my own life. I'll just be honest with you is that a flimsy prayer life leads to courageousness, you know, if that is such a word. It leads to timidity. But a deep prayer life, a continuous prayer life, asking for boldness leads to courage. I don't know one pastor, I don't know one Christian that's bold for Jesus Christ that is not asking for boldness, that is not committed to prayer, that is not on their knees praying that God would give them the boldness to take a stand for him, whether it be work or whatever your environment that you're being challenged within, to be a bold witness for Christ. Holy Spirit boldness. We ask for it, and God will give it. All right. So here's our hero of the faith trait that we looked at this morning. One of the most heroic things you can do is to be God's courageous witness, even if it leads to you being persecuted. So how are you doing in this area? When you take inventory of your life honestly, in the environment in which God has placed you, he's calling you to be courageous where you live. Now, maybe the Lord's calling you to go out and be on mission trip, and, and you're called to be courageous there as well. But we, we, we're courageous in our family, at family reunions, at birthday parties. What is the Lord saying to you about this, where you live, in your environment, with your coworkers? Five ways to be a courageous witness. Courageous witness, it starts with consistently telling people about Jesus, opening your mouth when the Holy Spirit leads and being filled with the Holy Spirit because he's the source of courage. It, it, at times, it's going to mean courteously pointing out the kind act that you did, but also connecting that with the good news, with the gospel. And even when you're threatened, you respectfully honor guard. God, regardless of the cost. And a courageous witness continues in prayer, asking God for the courage, the boldness to be his man, be his woman. All right, I'd like you to talk about this at your table. Of the five traits of a courageous witness, which one most speaks to you? And why? Where have you been most encouraged or challenged today about the, this example of Peter and John? What is God saying to you? Talk about that at your tables. Go for it. Okay, let me uh, bring us back. I want to give you a moment to just think about this uh, hero of the faith trait in your own heart, in your own life. And it's this. One of the most heroic things you can do is be God's courageous witness, even if it leads you to being persecuted. And when we came in here today and we prayed and you're listening to this teaching, whether video right now or here or live, we came in here with a certain level of courage that we're manifesting, Right? I mean, really, in our lives. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, you know, people are seeing you all the time. What do they see in you? Really, at work, in your neighborhood, they see you all the time. Question, do they see courage in your life? Courage, spiritual courage, comes when you represent Jesus Christ with love but boldness. Like walking up to an atheist and handing him a New Testament. When's the last time you've invited someone to church? When's the last time you brought, have invited someone to followers? 
right here. When's the last time you've given someone a scripture, a book? I mean, start with small things that challenge you, but you will never know. People see you, and especially if they know you're a Christian, they should see you growing in courageous acts. That will deeply impact their life. How else are they going to see Jesus? People see Jesus in us, yes, by our love. But they see courage in us when we talk about the gospel and talk about Christ. Wow. That's a challenge for all of us, I think. Don't you agree? But the Holy Spirit is there in your life to lead you into this and me into this. That's the wonderful thing about God. He takes us by the hand. He leads us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I look at the John and Peter. They walk into the, the greatest religious institution in all Israel. And every one of those guys are absolutely astonished because of their courageous spiritual witness for Jesus Christ. Lord, I think all of us want to be seen as those who have been with Jesus. And there's something deep here about our willingness to just be filled with you and follow you. And Lord, we confess our sin of, of being timid and shy and maybe, maybe even sometimes ashamed. Forgive us, O oh God. Remind us how deeply must we hate someone if we never tell them about Jesus and how to go to heaven. What a statement by an atheist. Lord, use that by your Holy Spirit. Temper it in our lives and show us how by grace and with courage we can, we can link this kind of courage and love and gospel truth to a culture that is literally going to hell. Wake us up where you need to wake us up, O Holy Spirit. Lead us. Take us by the hand. Rattle our cage. Whatever you need to do that we could be your men and women, modern-day heroes of the faith that live out a courageous witness for the Lord Jesus Christ because you alone are worthy. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen.